a happy Mother's Day to you. I'm so excited that just in a little bit, hopefully I'll be getting to greet many of you personally, especially you moms. We got a gift for you. It's just gonna be wonderful just to smile through our masks and to spend just a few moments together. But hey, today we're continuing our series about taking new ground. We're in Joshua chapter six and maybe a kind of a familiar story to many. It's the story of Jericho. But I'm breaking this message into two parts because I want to really kind of get after a question first before we talk about the story. And it's a really important question. It's it's one that's actually caused real concern in the hearts of many. Some have even walked away from the Lord because of this question and not really understanding how to grapple with it. And the question is this, how could a good God wipe out whole cities? I mean, these were cities filled with families, you know, so how could a good, loving, merciful God um, do that? You know, what's up with that? So grab a pen, take some notes, and hopefully this will help you on your journey of faith as we talk about this really important question before we get to the story of Jericho. So the background to understand is very important. And the background is this, that God chose the Israelites to be his faithful witness to the whole world, that there is one true and living God. And you also have to remember that the Israelites were the incubator of the greatest promise in history, that the Messiah, the Savior, God himself would be coming to the world through them. Now remember, they lived in the promised land for about 1,500 years before that promise was to be fulfilled through Jesus. And that's a really long time to stay faithful, especially because the Canaanites, the people who lived in the land, they were evil. I mean, they were beyond corrupt. I want you to listen along with me to Leviticus 18, 1 through 3. God is speaking to Moses long before the people were to enter the promised land. But read along with me and hear what God said. It says, The Lord said to Moses, Give the following instructions to the people of Israel. I am the Lord your God. So do not act like the people in Egypt where you used to live or like the people of Canaan where I am taking you. You must not imitate their way of life. So when God said don't imitate their way of life, what was their way of life? Well, much of their life was built around really horrific occult spiritual practices. I mean, this was idol worship, but this was kind of of the very worst kind. And and actually the people there were known for sacrificing their children in fire. I mean, it was, it was terrible. And not only that, it was very perverse. It was just sexually rotten from the, from the get-go, um, including male and female temple prostitution and just really gross, perverse uh, behaviors that were all in the name of how they practiced uh, their idolatry and their, their religion. And so following along in Leviticus chapter 18, uh, God has kind of been listing all of these different things that the Canaanites have been doing. And then picking up in verse 24, this is what God says. Do not defile yourselves in any of these ways. For the people I am driving out before you have defiled themselves in all these ways. Because the entire land has become defiled, I am punishing the people who live there. 
I will cause the land to vomit them out. Now, I want you to remember this, that, that when you read scripture, God applied equal opportunity justice. I mean, there was many places where death was required for the Israelites as well when they became wicked and broke their covenant with God. So God was not like for Israel exclusively and against foreigners. In fact, one of the beautiful things that we see through the Old Testament is that, that God actually allowed foreigners, sometimes called sojourners, to be a part of Israel and actually participate in his covenant. I love what God said through the prophet Isaiah. In Isaiah chapter 56, God says this, Don't let foreigners who commit themselves to the Lord say, the Lord will never let me be a part of his people. He goes on and says, I will also bless foreigners who commit themselves to the Lord, who serve him and love his name. So now one of the things that's even true about this story that we're going to get to about Jericho is you may remember a few weeks ago when we were talking about the spies going into the land, there was this woman that the spies encountered. Her name was Rahab. She happened to be a prostitute, but she put her faith in the Lord. And so God spared her. And here's the amazing part of the story, that Rahab and her entire family got to become part of Israel. In fact, if you read Matthew chapter 1, you can flip over there later and read this. It's the genealogy of Jesus. And one of the amazing things you see is that Rahab is listed and that she is actually the great grandmother to King David. You know, the King David who wrote most of the Psalms. I mean, so Rahab is in the royal line leading all the way to Jesus. I mean, how amazing is that? So here's the storyline. God loves people. In fact, he loves us so much that he would do anything to remove evil from the earth that would poison the promise of God's ultimate love being poured out for all of humanity on the cross. And this is the way Apostle Paul reflected on it a long time later. It's captured in Romans 6.23 where, where Paul says this, the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Now, just think about that first phrase for a moment, that the wages of sin is death. You know, not only did the Canaanites deserve death for, for their behavior. I mean, just the whole culture was so rotten to its core that God knew that if they stayed there, that this would poison his own uh, chosen people. These people of promise who ultimately one day would be part of, of Jesus coming forth from their, from their own family. And so, listen, all of us deserve death. All of us are sinners. I mean, all of us, when we, when we get down to the, to the real root of what's in our heart, there's wickedness. So it's only by God's grace that any of us were spared. And listen, when you read the, the remaining part of that verse, so good that God has a free gift for all of us. And it's eternal life in Christ. So listen, all of us at one point, we're all going to die. But the great thing is, is that 
there's eternal life waiting for us for all who have put their trust in Jesus. Like, how great is that? So let's get to the story in Jericho, uh, the Jericho story in Joshua chapter 6. And uh, this is where, for the very first time, the Israelites are now going to engage this enemy that God is saying, you have to evict them. They have to be wiped out. So starting in verse 2 of Joshua chapter 6, But the Lord said to Joshua, I have given you Jericho, its king, and all its strong warriors. You and your fighting men should march around the town once a day for six days. Seven priests will walk ahead of the ark, each carrying a ram's horn. On the seventh day, you're to march around the town seven times with the priests blowing their horns. When you hear the priests give one long blast on the ram's horns, have all the people shout as loud as they can. Then the walls of the town will collapse and the people can charge straight into the town. Now, I've wondered about this. Maybe you have too. That Why would this take an entire week? I mean, why the walking around Jericho, you know, one time a day for six days and then the seventh day, seven times around? I mean, we know from other miracles in the in the Bible that God could have just done this in an instant, right? In a heartbeat, walls fall down, uh, they, you know, walk into to the land. But God doesn't do anything by chance. There's always a purpose that is at the core of what God has in in his mind, and it's for us to discover. Well, I believe there's maybe a couple of reasons for this. One is that the soldiers and the priests that were walking around, I mean, they walked around 13 times. And, you know, they're carrying, the priests are carrying the Ark of the Covenant, uh, you know, the the symbol of God's presence in in their midst. They're carrying this around. So they weren't, this was not a brisk walk. This was, you know, this was a walk with was thousands and thousands of people involved in this. So those priests had a really good opportunity to check out those walls. What we know about Jericho is that it was not a huge city. I mean, they were able to walk around it. In fact, on the seventh day, they walked around it seven times. So it was not a massive city that would uh, you know, take too long to walk around. But what we know about it is it was very highly fortified. I mean, these walls were impenetrable. And I think God wanted his people to recognize, yeah, you're not getting through this on your own. You have to rely on me. Have you ever been there? I mean, have you ever been in a situation where maybe uh, you were in a pause a lot longer than you would have wanted? But boy, by the end of that pause, you recognize, God, I need you. Sometimes it takes us all the way through the long haul, that long pause before we get to that point where we do cry out to the Lord. The other thing that I wonder is a possibility of why God took seven days, a full week, to to do this miracle, is I wonder, could God have been giving time for Jericho to actually repent? For those people to, like Rahab had done, actually turn their faith and their attention to the Lord and to cry out to him. 
Because we see other places in the Old Testament where God's love was so profound for the people. Like I'm thinking of Nineveh and sending Jonah. And this was a wicked, wicked city. But God cared so much about those people that lived there that he sent his prophet Jonah. And guess what? They repented. God loves people. Incredibly so. And so I'm wondering, you know, could God have given them the opportunity over these days as they're seeing uh, these priests and warriors, um, you know, surround their city time and time again, and there would have been a lot of opportunity to repent. Evidently, they didn't. Hey, but did you catch this? That God put his ark, the ark of the covenant, the symbol of his presence in the, in the nation of Israel, he put that right into the mix. And then Joshua, we're going to read, puts the ark right in the middle of the warriors. So picking up in verse 9 of Joshua 6, says, Some of the armed men marched in front of the priests with the horns and some behind the ark, with the priests continually blowing the horns. Do not shout. Do not even talk, Joshua commanded. Not a single word from any of you until I tell you to shout. Then shout. So they repeated this for six days. I mean, they were under strict silence, you know, like nobody say a peep, except we have the, the reality that they were listening to this really cool horn section. So they had this soundtrack going through their entire march. And uh, then we get to day seven. And day seven was a little different because on day seven, they had to walk around Jericho not once, but seven times in one day. And so we'll pick up reading in verse 20. And it says, when the people heard the sound of the ram's horns, they shouted as loud as they could. Suddenly, the walls of Jericho collapsed and the Israelites charged straight into the town and captured it. They completely destroyed everything in it with their swords. As we talked about before, men and women, young and old, even the animals, cattle, sheep, goats, and donkeys. This was God's work. I mean, God was the one who brought down the walls. He was the one who cleansed the land of evil. But you can go on and keep reading in Joshua chapter 6 and see that God also fulfilled his promise that Rahab and her family were to be spared. And they were and brought into the Israelite community. I want to give you three takeaways for us. Three things to think about that when we're taking new ground and then we actually engage the enemy as we're doing so. Here's three things from what we see in Joshua chapter 6. That, that I think that we need to pay attention to. Number one, learn when to keep your mouth shut. <laughs> and I remember I was probably about eight years old and, and uh, during a summer vacation, my mom had the idea that she was going to write out proverbs for me to memorize. And uh, man, she was a wise woman, and I think she was trying to get a little bit of that wisdom into her son as well. And I think the only proverb that I remember today from that summer, way long ago, was Proverbs 21, 23. 
that in the Living Bible reads something like this. Keep your mouth shut and you'll stay out of trouble. I love that. Just keep your mouth shut and you'll stay out of trouble. Listen, right now, man, I am really thankful that I don't spend a lot of time on social media. You know, I'm, I'm on Facebook, I'm on Instagram, I'm on Twitter a little bit, but I mean, I, I just, I go there to, you know, peek around and I, you know, kind of maybe post something and, and jump off. But I'm glad I'm not really buried in social media right now because what I'm hearing is that people are just kind of going nuts. You know, conspiracy theories and the politicization of, of what's taking place, the tragedy in our world right now. I'm telling you, Man, if you're online, do not engage in all the foolishness that's happening. I mean, just stop it. You know, it's like if I see something that you post and it's a little cray cray, I'm just going to tell you, just knock it off. I'll just go on there and just say, hey, remember Joshua chapter six. And here's what I want you to think about. Remember the fruit of the spirit. Listen, no matter what is going on in our life, no matter even what kind of conflict we're in, that does not void the fruit of the Spirit. If what you are saying, whether it's through your mouth or saying it online, if it's not loving, if it's not kind, if it's not gentle, and if there's no patience, or I love what some translations say, if you're not long-suffering along with those who maybe you disagree with, then what you are speaking or what you're communicating is of a different spirit. There's the fruit of the spirit, and then there's a different spirit. And I'm telling you, I want to be someone, and I believe you do too, that really wants to be known by, by being someone that is filled with the spirit of the living God. So we need to remember that when we're engaging the enemy it is so tempting to just want to just throw those barbed words, to speak with hate, to speak in ways that, well, don't represent God well at all. But people are listening and they're going to they're gonna know by the words that come out of our mouth, do you have the spirit of the living God in you? Or are you really operating, really exemplifying a different spirit? So can you agree with me? Number one, let's learn to keep our mouths shut until it's time. We'll get there in just a moment. But number two is remember this. Remember that God is in your midst. Listen, the ark, the ark of the covenant, this most holy of holy things that the Israelites brought around with them that was the symbol of the presence of the living God in their midst, the ark was right in the middle of the warriors. Now listen, that is not really a good uh, battle strategy right there, if you ask me. You know, it's like, man, well, we want to put our most precious thing all the way, you know, behind the warriors, uh, you know, put it behind the tents. We're going to hide it. We're, you know, because obviously that's our most precious thing to us in the entire world. But God said, no, I want you to remember that I am right in your midst even in the middle of a battle. Listen, I believe that we fight differently when we remember who stands with us. And Jesus said this, it was a promise. He said, I will send the Holy Spirit and he will be with you always. 
Can I tell you, friend, no matter what size of the uh, conflict that you're facing right now, really, no matter how impenetrable those walls might seem to you that you're facing, you're like, I do not know how I'm going to win this battle. You are not alone. The God who loves you, the God of the universe, the Lord Almighty is right there in your midst. You are not alone. God is with you. And we need to remember that when we're in battle and when we're engaging a real enemy. Because the enemy is real. But remember, keep your mouth closed. Remember who is in your midst. God is with you. And number three, we need to remember to cry out to the Lord. Cry out to God. One of my favorite stories in the book of Acts is found in chapter 4. And in what you read uh, preceding uh, where, where we're going to be in just a second, starting in verse 24, is, is that Peter and John had been wrongly imprisoned. I mean, they had just participated in this miraculous healing. They were sharing the good news of Jesus when all of a sudden, yeah, you know it, the religious leaders show up and they're tired of this. They've had enough. And so they actually um, are bringing uh, Peter and John before the court. And so there's a report that they're going to be uh, hearing. And so they hear the report. Uh, they can't really do anything about it because all the people are just on their side. Uh, you know, so they tell them, no more preaching in Jesus' name. And so what do Peter and John do immediately when they're released from this really false arrest um, is that they go right back to their friends, other people who are followers of Jesus, and listen to this. In Acts chapter 4, it says, When they heard the report, all the believers lifted their voices together in prayer to God. What did they do? They cried out to the Lord. I believe really not that different than what we saw in Joshua chapter 6, right before the walls fell down. They, they lifted their voices. They shouted to the top of their lungs. And so we keep going. So the believers lifted their voices together in prayer to God. O sovereign Lord, creator of heaven and earth, the sea and everything in them, you spoke long ago by the Holy Spirit through our ancestor David, your servant, saying, why are the nations so angry why did they waste their time with futile plans? The kings of the earth prepared for battle. The rulers gathered together against the Lord and against his Messiah. So, I mean, listen, they're going after it and they're remembering time in scripture where there were real battles going on. And in here, they're even just talking about rulers coming to get, uh, together to rage against the Lord himself. So they go on in their prayer and they say, and now, O Lord, hear their threats, right? I mean, they're not, they're not under some assumption that, uh, or, or some false reality that there isn't an enemy. You know, they know there's an enemy. So they say, Lord, hear their threats and give us, your servants, great boldness in preaching your word. Stretch out your hand with healing power. May miraculous signs and wonders be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And it says, after this, 
After this prayer, the meeting place shook and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Then they preached the word of God with boldness. Listen, I'm amazed by this, but when they cried out to God, well, they, they weren't crying out against the enemy, but they were crying out for the power of God to come upon them. And look what God did. He answered them just the way he did in Joshua chapter 6. I believe that God answers the cry of his people. And so I want us to pray together right now. And you may be facing something that is really difficult. You may be facing something that has taken you so deeply into places of pain, confusion. There may be an enemy that you're facing that is wanting to conquer you. You know, its, it's name may be depression. Its name may be anxiety. Its name may be COVID-19. I don't know what it is that you're facing. I know a lot of people are facing economic hardship right now. But you can cry out to the Lord. And you can be confident of this, that he is with you and he will hear your cry. So would you join me right now in prayer? Lord, we do. We lift our voices to you. Lord, we are encouraged, Lord, by what we see in Scripture. When people lift their voices to you, sometimes that's just an expression. We lift our voice, meaning we go to prayer, but there's other times literally where we cry out in desperation that, God, if you don't do this, I'm sunk. God, if you don't do this, I'm going down. And so, Lord, right now I pray and I contend with my friends Lord, saying whatever they are facing right now, Lord, would you give them the insight and strategies of how to move forward? But Lord, more than that, would you do the fighting for them? Would you take down the enemy of their soul who would want to steal away the promise? Lord, the promise of salvation. Lord, the promise of wholeness and of redemption in lives and in families in economics, and in every situation. God, thank you for this reminder that you are in our midst. Thank you that you do the fighting for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hey, isn't it good to know that and we battle not against flesh and blood, but it's a spiritual battle. Nothing that we read in the Old Testament gives us license to do physical battle today because we know that the enemy is the enemy of our soul. And so we're going to get after him in spiritual ways by crying out to the Lord. Hey, church, you're loved. Hope to see some of you later today. God bless you. We're going to see you really soon.